goodness and God's kind of uh, just his his personal uh, relationship with us and desire to to provide for us and, and love us and, and and give to us. And so uh, it is good just to go back to Calvary and just to remember and take some time to do that. So I think uh, we've got a great uh, uh, great time this, in the, in the Word here planned this morning. We're looking forward to it. Let's go ahead and let's pray and uh, prepare our hearts just to really, really take it in. Okay, let's pray together. Father, thank you so, so much for your love, for your grace, for your truth, for your Mm. providence. Thank you so much for the ways that uh, you love us each uh, individually and personally as your kids. And uh, you look after us. Uh, You want to heal our wounds. You want to... uh, to lead us, God, to, to the good life. Mm-hmm. And Father, you want to lead us to a place that's safe and where there's, where you provide for us, where we have meaningful work and meaningful relationships and wisdom and freedom. And Father, I pray that uh, you would really lead us, God, in our heart, soul, mind, and strength there this morning. Father, help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember your dream. Help us to remember your, your plan. Father, help us to remember Jesus as we, uh, as we take communion together this morning. Mm-hmm. Thank you for this time in your word. Father, lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit in a powerful way this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, let's turn over to Acts chapter 2, if we could. Acts chapter 2. So I hope everybody's doing good this morning. And uh, it was really, really great last Sunday just to be able to... Uh, to um, have a conversation about Luke chapter 10 and the Good Samaritan. I've been thinking about that all week and just uh, all the things that I learned just from that, just from reading those uh, verses together and looking through those things together. Um, I really, really appreciate everybody just engaging in conversation, uh, you know, when it comes just to us uh, really growing closer together, growing in the midst of struggle and growing in the midst of hardship and a lot of things that we're, that we're learning right now and, and trying to, to, to navigate through. Uh, it was great being with uh, the men and the women on Wednesday night. And uh, I know we all talked about living by faith and not by fear and letting faith in God, really, really cultivating our faith and letting faith, our faith in God uh, really guide us and not our fear of circumstances or our fear of, of other things. And I know that's, again, for me, I know that's really hard to do is to, is to really let my faith in God be my guide. And let Jesus really uh, help me and train me how to grow in my faith. And uh, so I can really live life to the full. And so that was really great. And, um, and it and it's kind of leads up in a, in, a, in, a, in a powerful way to what we're going to talk about this morning. The, the, the title of the lesson this morning is Living the Good Life. And Living the Good Life. Um, and I really want to encourage you to just take, take jot down some notes. Because uh, we're going to be kind of going starting in the beginning. And it's not going to be a long lesson, but it will be kind of a meaty lesson. And it's really going to kind of touch on some main themes in the scriptures that I really think God wants us to take hold of and really, and really, uh, you know, um, really digest and really make a part of our life. Not just sort of a, you know, something that we're observing or kind of thinking about, but really a part of our, our heart, a part of our spirit, a part of, a, a part of who we are uh, individually and then together as a community. And so, and so living the good life, uh, I wanted to talk about just, uh, God's dream for all humans to live the good life. And then God's plan to restore health and wholeness and happiness to the human race. Uh, God has a plan and, uh, it comes uh, at a price to, to, to God, but he's got a plan for, for all of us to, to be restored, um, to health and wholeness both now and then into eternity. And it's pretty awesome. It's pretty inspiring to be able to look at, at kind of the, 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 the big dream and the big vision and the big, and the big ideas that God has for us. And so I want you to think about here for a minute. <clears throat> I want you to think about and just sort of kind of consider for a moment uh, living the good life. Living the good life. What's it look like to you? What's it feel like to you when you think about you living the good life? What's, what's that involve? And, uh, we're not going to talk about it this morning. We'll talk about it in, in, you know, in our households and our families and our groups, but I'd like you to think about that. 
What's it look like? What's it feel like? And I bet you it includes things like freedom. And I bet you it includes things like safety and feeling a sense of security. Uh, it includes joy. It includes uh, creativity and adventure. Uh, it probably includes things like life and light and love. And I'd like us to look here in, in Acts chapter two because we get a, we get a, um, we get a little bit of a vision of the good life here in Acts chapter two. And maybe we see a little bit of the good life that we imagine here in Acts chapter two, uh, starting in verse 42, as we see the kind of the kingdom of God touching down on earth. It's the kingdom that Jesus has just lived for and died for and then resurrected for. And so it's all kind of coming together. It's all happening. And so we see the, the, the lives of these, these early disciples, these early Jesus followers. And it says in verse two, it says in verse, actually in verse 40, it says, with many other words, uh, Peter warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And it says those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved what a time what a what a party what a celebration it's like it's like it's just this festival started and and certainly there were tough times that came and there were difficulties that followed and there were things that they had to face together but but for this moment it was it was it was a time of of the good life it was a time of of refreshing it was a time when when god and people and the spirit were coming together from all different backgrounds and they were loving one another. They were loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were loving their neighbor as themselves. There was a, a genuine sense of, of sincerity and, and, uh, and gladness and praising God and being in awe and being in wonder. And, um, it was, a, it was a simple time. It was a simple time. Um, but it was such a, an amazing time, such an amazing moment. You know, um, there's challenges all around this group. You can't forget that. There was extreme poverty that, that was a part of, a part of humanity at that point. There was corrupt government. There was corrupt religion all around. There was violence. There was war. There was slavery. Uh, there was depravity. And yet, in the midst of that, this community found joy. And this community found the good life. This community was living the good life together. And I think it's a model for us. It's an example for us of a simple, grounded, fruitful life full of the fruits of the spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the faithfulness and the self-control. And one of the things I want to talk about is, is how do they get here? How do, how do they get here and how did they, and how do they seek to maintain and build and grow this, this good life together and individually? You know, Acts chapter two is an extraordinary chapter of the Bible. Even in the midst of all the other chapters in the Bible, Acts chapter two is a very unique chapter. It's such a, it's such a unique and powerful, uh, chapter in history. And it's, it's kind of a, a tipping point for humanity. Humanity is described in many ways, uh, you know, before Acts chapter two and then after Acts chapter two. You know, it's, it's, it's an epilogue. Acts chapter two serves as, as an epilogue. It's an epilogue. It's a crescendo. It's a crescendo to the, uh, to the whole Old Testament. And so the whole Old Testament and all the promises of God, all the promises of the kingdom of God touching down on earth come, come to fruition. Come alive. The dream comes true in Acts chapter two. 
And so we got to remember that as we're reading it and, and, and read it with that sense of awe that they were feeling because there's something really miraculous uh, that was happening here. So it's the epilogue of the old covenant. It's the coming of the kingdom. If you've ever done the, the who's, who here has done the, like the coming of the kingdom study from the book of Daniel all the way through the New Testament? This is where it all comes together. All the promises, all the prophecies. It's incredible. We're going to do that together sometime soon because there's an incredible um, mosaic that comes together in Acts chapter 2. It's also incredibly the table of contents for the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 is not only the epilogue of the Old Testament, it's the table of contents, the principles and the concepts and the, and the truths and the grace uh, of uh, you know that God displays through his spirit in Acts chapter 2 are the things that are talked about throughout the whole New Covenant throughout the whole New Testament. And we're going to get back to that here in a moment, but I wanted to take us back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. You guys ready for this? Give me a thumbs up if you're ready to go back to the beginning and just and just grab onto God's kind of God's God's vision right here. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to start here because because we got to begin here to really get a sense of the magnitude of Acts chapter 2 and the price that was paid to live the good life, the journey that was taken by so many that have gone before us to help us to be able to inherit this good life that God has dreamed about from the beginning. And so in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God's dream. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Such a mysterious time. Such a a time that we can't really even fathom. And yet God brought order out of this time. He, He created everything that we understand as life and breath and everything else. God is the creator God. God is the power behind it all. And, uh, and, and so God had a, a dream. He had a vision of heaven and earth and, and all that would go into it. He had a vision of humanity and who we would be. Look over in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Actually, verse 26, and then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant. Then in verse 31, God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. And so God was fired up. God was excited about what he was creating. It was good. It was, it was meant for good. It was a blessing. And God was so stoked. God was so excited about all that was coming. You know, and, and it goes on in chapter 2, in verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, of it, you will surely die. And then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And we all say amen to that. It's, it's even through this pandemic, we've gotten this, you know, this, this, uh, I think a re, uh, just sort of understanding of just the goodness of relationships and the goodness of being together. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God creates Eve. And so Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is really sort of this, this pouring out of God's heart and God's dream and God's vision for life, for life on earth. And it's the good life. God's dream is, is, is the good life. And, and, it includes other things, but there's five things here to me that I see that stand out about the good life. The good life is simple. It's not complex. But uh, the good life includes basic necessities, uh, food, 
water, safety, shelter. So God provides these basic necessities to, to men and women, and he gives them ample resources to be able to, to have what they needed. Uh, the second thing is he gave them meaningful work. You know, the good life is not about, necess- you know, we've got to take vacations, right? <laughs> we need to rest. But the good life is very purposeful and very meaningful. And so we find, you know, God giving Adam and Eve meaningful work. The third thing is meaningful relationships. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. And so he provides for us companions. He provides for us friends. He provides for us family. And, um, you know, and so God, God provides meaningful relationships. And meaningful relationships are so much a part of the good life. And that's a lot of what Jesus talked about when, when he came is just the richness that God created relationships to have. And so it's meaningful relationships, the third thing. Wisdom is the, is, the, is the fourth thing. We need wisdom to live the good life because otherwise we get confused and we wander off and we don't quite know how to prioritize things and, and we get, um, and we get, we get uh, deceived. And so God is trying to help us to have the wisdom to also live the good life, live the life that he created us for. And then finally, he gives us freedom. You know, it's amazing that you are totally unique. There's no one else quite like you or me, that all of us are created with uniqueness, total uniqueness. We're created with, with gifts and talents and abilities and experiences and a heart and a soul and a mind and a body that's totally unique from others, heart, soul, mind, and body. God has created us for freedom. He says to us, fill the earth, go for it, subdue it. You know, that word subdue, it means to master. And there's just, there's this desire in us to, 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 to become masterful in the things that, uh, that, that we want to get good at, you know, we, and, and the ways that we're gifted. And we bring our gifts into society to be able to serve others and to be able to give to others. But there's those five things that make up the good life. Basic necessities, meaningful work, meaningful relationships, wisdom, and freedom. The freedom to flourish, the freedom to thrive. And God does that. He says, you're free. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Go for it. And so God gives, gives man, gives humanity these gifts. And he sets it up. He tees it all up for us. But unfortunately, the story changes in Genesis chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 3, what starts to happen is, is we want to be gods. We want to be God. It's not enough for us to be under God's providence and to be the created beings and not the creator. We want to be gods. And so we also think that we know better than God. And so even in the wisdom that God tries to give us to live life well, we say, no, no, I know better about good and evil. I know better about life than God does. And so we start to go down our own path. And it doesn't go well. It doesn't lead to good things. It leads to incredible, this introduction of fear and insecurity and sin and darkness. And these things start to play out in humanity. We start to hide. We start to, we start to, uh, hurt each other. We start to, uh, lash out at each other. And in Genesis chapter four, humans start to hate. And humans start to want to dominate one another. And we get into this chapter of humanity where we want to control one another. And we want to compete with one another. We want to compare with one another. We want to be able to say, I am better than you. We want to be able to say, I bear the image of God and you don't bear the image of God. And so we start to, we start to form classes. We start to try to dominate one or the other. I have the favor of God. You don't. I have the image of God. You don't. And look in Genesis chapter four, because it's really, really sad. Because we see what God was trying to create in Genesis chapter one and two. And then we see it all breaking down because of our own pride, because of our own fear, because of our own uh, sinful tendencies. In, in Genesis chapter four, let's read here in verse one. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, 
with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So we've got the older brother Cain. We've got the younger brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And so they had their different gifts. They had their different interests. And so, so Cain starts to go to, to, to work the soil and Abel starts to keep the flocks. And, uh, and she said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth, I'm sorry, down a little bit further. She said, um, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits in verse three of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? If you do it as right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Abel, Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And it almost, it almost makes me want to just cry because what was such a beautiful plan and a beautiful dream is just starting to unravel and brothers are trying to dominate brothers. Cain kills Abel and it just sets in motion this cycle of violence and damage and injury. You know, one time um, we had uh, two brothers named Van and Daryl Owens come to our region in Boston. And uh, they're, they're both uh, black African-Americans and they grew up in Mattapan. And uh, Van is now a teacher in the Boston church. Awesome brother. And Daryl is uh, a police officer. And he works in the, uh, the police academy there in Boston. He actually is a, is a national expert on the use of force. And so even with a lot of the different cases that are, that are, you know, being looked at around the nation, Daryl is very involved with that. He's also an elder in the church in Boston. An amazing, an amazing, uh, uh, amazing brothers. It just so happens that, that Van and I met at an American literature class when we were both freshmen at Boston University. And so, Van and I are just, we were, we were going through this time. We were looking for friends and God helped us to find each other. And in some ways, there's just a brotherhood that we share that, um, that is really, really deep and really special and meaningful together. But they came and spoke about, um, about race relations. They came and spoke uh, to our region about uh, diversity. And they read this passage and Van made the point that Sue and I have talked about so many times since then about this, this cycle of injury that's set up here. That, that what happens here is, is Cain doesn't like what he's hearing from God. And Cain feels insecure about, about Abel's offering being better than his. And so Cain lashes out and Cain kills Abel. And what happens is there's this, there sets up this cycle of violence and control and domination, and murder, and death, and you start to see it from, you know, start to see it kind of just taking hold of the human race from here. It's interesting, we'll talk about this in a second, but it's interesting because Jesus doesn't come back from death, continuing the cycle of injury. Jesus changes the cycle, and Jesus changed the cycle of injury that is taken, that is taking control of the human race, and he changes it to a cycle of love and compassion, and humility, and service. But there's this cycle of injury that starts. And and what we see is that sin is actually mastering humanity. God said, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you, but you must master it. But instead, what we see is sin mastering humanity. It's such a shame. And Cain doesn't take advantage of that opportunity to master sin, but he lets sin master him. And it's still that, that struggle that we see today is will we master sin or will we allow sin to master us? And that's what Jesus is really trying to teach us is how we can master sin and not let sin master and destroy us. But we see that sin has mastered us. We see the cycle of injury. 
We see these cycles of war and hatred and death, and literally it's out of control. You know, we see it in our own race relations today. And, uh, you know, racism in the U.S., the systemic nature of it, the, the, the military, the, the police brutality, it's, it's terrible. I know for me I'm, Sue and Sue were really trying to get in touch with how this has affected us and how we're a part of the problem and, and how we can become more a part of the solution and, and how deeply ingrained some of these things are in, in, in us. And we're, we're reading books like White Fragility. We're watching videos. We're, 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 we're trying to dig more deeply into the scripture and trying to take hold of our own culture in here and out here. Yeah. This, this culture of sin and domination that seems to just to take over. I don't want to be this way. And so I'm really working hard on it, but, but I've got to master it. I got to take, I got to take responsibility for that in my own life, in my own influence, on my family and in, in, in my community and in my society. We see it on the unborn. Guys, did you know that every year there's like 40 to 50 million unborn humans that are killed and aborted? That's like over a hundred thousand every day. What does that say about us? It's incredible. You know, we see in the human slave and sex trafficking, the victims of this kind of thinking, this kind of way that sin has taken over. We see it in the millions of orphans that are around the world. You know, there's about 2.2 billion kids in the world. Almost half, about a billion kids woke up this morning in poverty. That's how much sin has mastered us. And we, we, we gotta figure this out. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta take hold of God's plan to get back to the good life. We see war and violence and controlling dictatorships that have, you know, throughout history and the, and the ravage of those. And I know for me, it makes me very sad <laughs> and it makes me feel overwhelmed. And so I wanted us to take a minute just to pray, just to pray together at this point in our study, as we kind of go into this next part about what's God's plan to take us forward and to get us out of this. Actually, before I, before I look at that, I wanted to look at Genesis, a, a verse in Genesis chapter six. Because in verse five, it says, the Lord <clears throat> saw how great man's wickedness <clears throat> on the earth had become, <clears throat> excuse me, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. And so God sends a flood and he tries to restart things with another family. Mm-hmm. But even that didn't go very well. But it's interesting to me that it says God's heart, and I don't know how big God's heart was, is, or how to even describe it, but God's heart was filled with pain. He hurt so bad about that we, the way that we had, the way that we had completely taken advantage of his good grace and the way that we had managed ourselves. And that way that we had taken hold of or not taken hold of the life that God had prepared for us. And it says his heart was filled with pain. And um, that helps me because it helps me to understand that God is emotionally involved. And that God feels pain when we feel pain. That he goes through things on a heart level when we go through things. So let's look at how God tries to solve this problem. And help us through this here in just a moment. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we know that our sin and we know that our thoughts and our inclinations and our evil causes you pain. Just like, just like a child's stuff causes their parents pain. And father, we, we, we repent. God, we confess. Father, we want to be different. And father, we want you to, God, feel the joy of your creation, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and following in your plan, following in your footsteps. God, help us to really take hold of the good life that you've planned for us. And Father, help us to really be just thankful and humbled by all the ways that you give us your grace, and you give us your truth, and you give us your spirit. You're amazing. We pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Look over in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So we see God starting to work his plan in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis talks about to Abram about and Abraham about his plan to bless the nations through his seed. God started working diligently on a plan to bless us and to help us and to strengthen us and to love us and to forgive us and for redemption and for us to find our way through the darkness. You know, there's over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Interestingly, Jesus fulfills all of them exactly. You know, in the Psalms and in the prophets, we hear about the suffering servant who would take on the sin of humanity and help lead us forward inspirationally with light and life and love. You know, we see uh, passages like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 that help us to see kind of the, 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 the struggle of the suffering servant of the Messiah and his struggle to bring about a change and to bring about a revolution in, in humanity. We see God teeing up and preparing for us what he calls the good news, the good news of great joy for all people. And in Luke chapter four, in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter two in verse, in, uh, in verse eight. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. And of course, the Jewish people are going through a very difficult time now. They're under the, they're, they, basically they're subject to the Romans and, and the Roman government. But an angel appears to the shepherds. And in verse 9, it says, shown, the, Lord, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men to humanity on whom his favor rests. God is so earnest about blessing us. God is so earnest about bringing to us good joy. God doesn't want to destroy us. God doesn't want to add violence to violence. God brings good news of great joy for all of humanity. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, it says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on these oppressed people, a light has dawned. Jesus came and started talking about good news of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 1, he says, repent, change your mind, change your heart, and believe the good news. You know, in Mark chapter, in, in he talks about, you know, the good news of the kingdom, that God was literally going to form a people in, in internally in each one of us individually, but then also externally in our relationships. He was going to form a new kingdom. It'd be a kingdom of faith, a kingdom of love, a kingdom led by <clears throat> the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Jesus comes and, and is that king and is that Messiah. And he starts to talk about uh, the good news of great joy for all people. Mm-hmm. And it, you notice it's, it's not bad news. It's good news. You notice it's not, it's not negative. It's not, it's not, um, despairing. It's not punitive. It's good news of great joy. And it's not just for one race. It's not just for one people. It's for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. In Mark chapter 16, he's preparing. He's working with his apostles. He's working with his messengers. And what's their message? Well, it's, it's good news. It's the gospel. And that's why even all four of the gospels, they're, they're called the gospels because it's about Jesus preparing this team to bring good news of great joy to all people, uh, starting in Acts chapter 2 that we'll see in just a moment. So Jesus in Mark 16 says, go and preach good news to all creation. Let's look over in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Verse 45. After his resurrection, he appears to his, his, uh, his guys. And then in verse 45 says, and he opened his mind so they could understand the scriptures. 
He told him, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Those are those prophecies that we're just talking about. Opening up the scriptures to them. He said, and from, he said, this, he will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And so he's saying, hey, this is it. This is the time. It's going to be amazing. All nations, all people, repentance and the forgiveness of sins preached up to all people. The promise is going to be talked about. This is what was promised for, for, for all these years. You know, in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that I command you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And so the apostles go into Jerusalem. And it's funny because they waited there for a while. It didn't just happen right away. Jesus appeared to them over a period of time, over a period of weeks. And, uh, and then they just stayed in Jerusalem to wait. And they prayed. It says they, they got together constantly just to pray. And then Acts chapter 2 happens. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And there's literally tens of thousands, some say even hundreds of thousands, of people in Jerusalem who are celebrating the feast of Pentecost. And so the day of Pentecost comes, they're all together in one place, and suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind comes from heaven and fills the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When he heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of the Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So there's all these people from all these nations. Now, we see something in Acts chapter 10 that's very similar to this. Here, God is ushering in the kingdom of God to the Jewish people. In Acts chapter 10, he's ushering in the kingdom of God to all people. And and so we see God doing something extraordinary here. The spirit pours down on them like a violent wind. They're able to speak all these different languages to proclaim it says declaring the wonders of God in their own languages, in their own tongues. The dream is coming true. And then in verse 14, <clears throat> well, you're facing in verse 13, there's, there's, always, there's always some haters in the crowd. And so they said, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And so these guys are trying to minimize it, but Peter wouldn't have it because he knew what was going on. And filled with courage, verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. I love this because I feel like I can hear the music changing. And I can hear, I can stand, see Peter, who was, who was so cowardly in a lot of ways before. He's filled with the courage of Christ. He stands up with his team, his band of brothers, the 11, his band of sisters, in that, in that community of 120 that came together to pray constantly. And they stand up together and Peter preaches the gospel in Acts chapter two. And so we can see from Peter's, his, his sermon here, the three parts of the gospel that, that, uh, that are key that Jesus wanted him to go in and speak. And we see these three parts of the gospel. One is you can see in the beginning, he uses a couple of passages to say, Hey, this is what we've been promised. And preparing for this is what was prophecy, and he, and he talks about a, a prophecy uh, in, in, from the book of Joel in verse seventeen. It says, "In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on your servants, both men and women, 
I will pour out my spirit in those days. You see God trying to restore what he talked about in Genesis chapter one. It's, it's men and women. It's young and old. It's people of all backgrounds, all nations. And God is trying to bring them together for the good life that comes about because of the good news. And so Peter stands up to preach the good news with this as a back, with this as a background. And, um, and in verse 22, what does he say? Well, he starts to tell us about the first part of the good news. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. And then he says the name, Jesus. And Peter, who is one of Jesus' best friends, he gets up and he says, we got to talk. Because this was very fresh on the consciousness of the people that were listening to this. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. And I I like how he says of Nazareth, because Nazareth was just this little town, this nowhere town. It was like a, yeah, I don't know, like a Winooski of of that area. And it's just this little town that some didn't even think existed up until, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago. But Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then he refers back to David, and he refers back to some of the Psalms here, where David talks about the Messiah that's coming. And he says, there's all these prophecies about Jesus and he was right here among us and we killed him. But death didn't hold him back. He rose from the dead. Even death couldn't hold him down. So the first part of the good news is Jesus. Guys, we need Jesus as our light, as our guide, as our, as our master teacher. We need, we need inspiration. Who else is going to lead us out of this darkness and out of this foulness? out of this sin-drenched existence that we have. Who's going to lead us out with grace and with truth? Well, it's Jesus. Even death couldn't hold him back. Jesus is unlike any other human that's ever lived in his righteousness, in his love, in his sacrifice, in his resurrection. Wow. And we get to follow. But we need, we need Jesus as part of the good news because we, without it, we don't have a faithful guide. We just injure each other more and more. We just hurt each other more and more. We just misunderstand each other more and more. We just try to dominate each other more and more. And we're constantly reacting to each other. But then Jesus comes and changes the cycle. He comes back with compassion, with love, with service, with humility. And we too can change the cycle if we'll hang on to that first part of the good news, Jesus. The second part of the good news is reconciliation. And so, and so Jesus, Peter finished that. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What an awesome day. The second part is, yeah, Jesus came to us as a guide, but he also came to us as, as Messiah and as a Lord and as a sacrifice. And it's through this sacrifice that we can find reconciliation with our creator because we cut that relationship off. We're separated from God because of our sin. Because of our darkness. But the good news provides a way back. He says, repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you'll also receive the forgiveness of, God, of your sins. God wants to forgive all of our sins. And give us a brand new life. So this last second part is reconciliation, getting right with our creator, getting right with our God. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about this ministry of reconciliation because that's what it is. So much of this is, is not, it's not just about us and us. It's about us and God. You know, it's interesting because that cycle of injury put us at war with one another. 
How do we not be at war with one another anymore? Well, it's not about us and them. It's not about us and those people over there. It's about all of us, humanity and him. It's about us coming together under God, under the Lordship of Christ, under the leadership of Christ, so that we can come together as one people. We can forgive one another. We can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we can stop in its tracks this cycle of injury. So that's the second part of the good news. The third part of the good news is what we read in the beginning. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And another translation says those who were coming alive. Those who were coming alive. You know, we need these three parts of the good news. The first part is Jesus. The second part is reconciliation. The third part is community. The first part is the light. The second part is the life. The third part is the love. You know, it's interesting in this community, they were in love with God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were in love with one another. They were in love with their neighbor as themselves. They were setting down their arms and they were learning to love their enemies and to those who did harm to them learning to forgive as they've been forgiven. And there is the beloved community that comes together to start to be an inspiration to the dark world that's around us. You know, the good news can change our lives. I remember when I was 18 years old and I read Acts chapter two for the first time, it changed my life. I was just a teenager. I was just a guy traveling around in his Jeep around the U.S. trying to figure out my life. I wandered into Boulder. I was seeking God. I had so much mess in my life. And I'll never forget reading Acts chapter 2 and going, wow, that makes everything so clear. The good news leads us to the good life. Now, in the good life, the, the New Testament talks so much about this. It talks about us fighting the good fight. There's a fight involved. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not handed us on a silver platter every single day. We got to fight the good fight of the faith. You know, it talks about hating what is evil, but clinging to what is good enables us to, to engage and become the good life. Hate what's evil, cling to what's good. You know, Jesus talked about a good man, a good woman brings good things out of the good stored up in us. We got to store good things up in us so that we can draw them out in those times of pressure in those times of, of temptation. You know, it says the word of God equips us for every what? Good work. That the, the scriptures enable us to, to, to live out the good life. You know, we become, we become better as we bring, as we become ministers of reconciliation, as we become people who are bringing good news of great joy for all people. Guys, we're struggling. But we live in a world that's so struggling with darkness that they can't overcome. And we've got the antidote here. We've got the way forward here. We've got the life. We've got the light. We've got the love that we've been given. And now we can give to others. And there's so many people in Burlington and in Vermont and around the world that are just longing for someone to, to bring to them the good news of great joy that's meant for them. Okay, so just to get practical with this, and I know this is a lot of information, but three practical things is for us to learn the good news, the good life, for us to live the good news and the good life, and for us to give the good news and the good life, for us to learn how to live it, to live it, and then to give it, to share it. Because as we share it, it multiplies. As we share it, we get to experience it even more. You know, this summer, we're, we're going to be uh, forming our life teams. 
And you see life teams here in, in the book of Acts. It says, you know, they, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor. Life teams are just teams of friends who are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowships, the breaking of bread and prayer. We're learning to love each other. We're learning, learning to overcome our differences. We're learning to forgive. We're learning to learn from one another's experiences and one another's pain. We're telling our untold stories. We're coming together as friends who, who, who would even be willing to lay down our lives for one another. And from that, God builds the good life among us and through us and in us. In John chapter 10, in verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. And as we take communion together this morning, let's, let's think about this odyssey. Let's think about this, this narrative, this, 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 this epic story of God trying to help us and trying to help us individually to try and help us as, as communities of people to hear the good news, to learn the good news, to live the good news, and then to give the good news. And let's just praise God. Let's just praise God. Let's just praise Jesus with everything we have. Let's thank him because he gave his body and he gave his blood so that we'd have this chance. So let's pray together. Let's enjoy communion together. And let's let it bring us closer to him. Let's let it bring us closer to one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm, I'm really kind of speechless. I just, uh, I'm just so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so, so thankful for the, for the hundreds and thousands who have given their life for the good news to bring it down to right here, right now, where we can praise our father in heaven because you are so good. Father, help us to learn the good news and live it and to give it. Father, help us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Help us to humbly learn from him and know him because on our own, we're no good. And Father, we just contribute to the cycle of injury. God, I pray that even today, God, even in this communion, that our lives would be changed, that the course of our lives going forward would, 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 would change, would be revolutionized, and that you'd be able to reach into the deepest parts of us and help us, Father, to become more and more like him. Thank you for Jesus dying for us on the cross and his resurrection. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. We praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.